0: One, two, three,
1: four. You are listening to Skylet the skylight books podcast skylight books is a general interest bookstore in the los Feliz neighborhood in los angeles you can shop with us from 10 a.m to 10 p.m or visit us online 24 7 at skylightbooks.com follow along at skylight books instagram and twitter you can subscribe to the podcast on podbean itunes and spotify thank you for listening and now on to the episode Hello, welcome to the Skylight Books virtual stage. Um, we're so happy to be here with Writers Block to celebrate the launch of *The Morning Star* by Carl Ove Knausgard, and he's going to be in conversation with Brandon Taylor. Welcome both of you to the screen. Um, I am going to. Let the two of you take it away. Thank you so much for being here. And uh, I'm looking forward to this conversation.
2: Thanks, Maddie. I'm I'm also very thrilled to be here. I'm a tremendous fan, Karlova. Yes. I'm, I'm such a fan. Um, and when the opportunity came to talk to you about this um, brilliant new tome of yours, I said, are you joking? Yes, immediately. <laughs>
3: I'm very flattered, thank you.
2: <laughs> I'm a
0: bit
3: embarrassed.
2: Oh well, um, don't be. I mean, it's a great book. It's so so deeply strange. What a weird! It's such a weird book, and yet you know, I was telling uh, Maddie earlier. It's like you know, I don't know what I thought it would be like when Canalsgard took on a genre premise, but like somehow this book is exactly that. (laughs) It's it's exactly what you what what one would expect. Um, It's so it's so good and unsettling. Um, I'd like to start by asking you, I guess maybe more of a a general or schematic question, and it's having to do with the scope of the novel. So the novel is, like many of your other books, quite long, and it sort of seems to encompass all of human existence, you know, Um, and yet at the same time, we encounter the characters in their smallest, most vulnerable moments, we seem to sort of follow them through the, the mundane upheavals of contemporary life, and it seems like in all of your books there's this this tension, this sort of paradox of a dual set of scales, both the cosmic and 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 deeply existential, and also the deeply intimate and personal. So, what what is it about this tension that 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 seems to compel you as a storyteller?
3: Don't know, but it's it's very precise what you're saying. It's exactly is exactly the, the the you know the place i'm i'm seeking for uh i think it's it's just a very basic experience of where do you find the big existential subjects where do you find you know life where do you find death well it's it's here where we are in the mundane you know and and i'm really it was the same with my struggle it's kind of the same but this is this is this is also very different because it's got many different characters, many different voices, many different conflicts. But they're all very grounded, they're all very much in the world somehow. And then I wanted some kind of arc going over it. That was that was different, that was kind of bigger. Um and the difficulties is is of course make these two <laughs> movements merge and make them come together and because they don't really in life, you know, you have ideas and you have, you know, um, thoughts and theories about everything, but you don't, it's not like you use them in your daily life, it's it's something else, and and I found that very interesting that our ideals, our views of the world doesn't really exist, or doesn't really show themselves, other than in bits and pieces, and, and that dynamic I found incredibly interesting. I mean... You know, I love reading philosophy, for instance, and I don't get much of it. It's like a calming place to be, but it's, it's, that never takes into my day-to-day experience, it just doesn't exist in that, in that world. And, and this is also a book about different worlds, different views uh, that I kind of, the boundaries between them are normally very very strict you know, this book they kind of dissolve and sort of move and there's all kind of things but you but you're very right that's the kind of central <laughs> theme in, in almost everything i'm writing and i don't know why
2: uh, i mean it, i feel like that is um i feel like it's when i read your books I, I have this i do have a similar feeling of when i read philosophy or um like this summer i I undertook this ridiculous project to read all of Freud. And oh, I would, I would <laughs> it was a uh, wacky, but really illuminating. But there would be these moments where I would be like, oh, that is something true about my life embedded in these, like this very dense and rich text. And it's like, you know, it's like the same way that when you describe a mountain in your works, you're like, oh, it's like a sudden encounter with this like deep, True fundamental eruption of meaning in the world, and then you sort of go about your life. Um, and so meaning seems to be like these large topographical features of a landscape that we're moving through at all times, and sometimes we encounter them, but for the most part, we're just too lost (laughs) in the
0: the forest. Yeah,
2: um, I do want to ask you about as you alluded to, this book is unlike my struggle, this book is. Comprised, it's it's comprised of so many different voices and so many different narrators. We've got men, we've got women, we've got teenagers, we've got journalists and doctors. You know, you sort of cover this broad range of people in society. And I guess I, I and they're all in the first person. I guess I wonder, was the book always this sort of chorus of first person voices? Was that always what you knew that you wanted this book to be? Yeah,
3: that was the first thing. I kind of I knew about this book was that i wanted a, a choir i wanted many many different voices and in the end it isn't that many it's only nine yeah. but you know i i imagine kind of even even broader but uh but yeah i like that i like that feeling of, of tri- that that's kind of the, the goal or the aim of, of writing is to get a choir of, of human voices And the interactions and not interactions and the misunderstandings and all the restrictions and everything that is in between. Because in my struggle, I wrote everything that's inside, you know, just like the world inside. But here, it's the world inside, and then another world inside, and another world inside, and and I, I I found, yeah, that was the base That two ideas, it was many voices and and a star, new star in the sky.
2: Wow, so that's kind of extraordinary that you i mean because when i think about like the the sort of level of difficulty of things to write this sort of like polyphonic multi-voiced choir and first person and everybody is very different like that to me seems like one of the more difficult
3: yeah yeah no it, was, it is and i and it's all written in my language and the problem is of course do you believe in it do you think it you know it's it's uh the last thing I want the reader to think, oh that's you know, that's the author, that's your that's your own variations. So I did discuss that a lot with my editor. If I you know to change the language more, but I decided no, I, I do it in the same language and, and kind of make the characters different anyway. So in the in the ways of thinking and in the ways of looking and um of course they're all me somehow. That's that's the beauty of fiction, you know? You know yourself. <laughs>
2: yeah, a friend of yeah. mine. A friend of mine said something about sebald once, which is that it's funny how all the people in sebald's novels all sound like sebald You know, they all. Yeah,
3: yeah, I know it. what you mean.
2: Yeah, <laughs> they have this sort of like very. I mean, they all have access to his incredibly rich and dexterous language, and yeah, the differences are in. I think the differences are there if you like look closely enough, but they're not there necessarily the the textures or the rhythms of the, <laughs> the language.
3: Yeah, so the real solution would have been to done it in third person, you know, with mm-hmm. someone who can go in and out on the characters. But I I, I really wanted a, a you know single place to see the world from because that's what we do, all of us. So that was kind of important. And then I'm really bad at writing for the person. I don't know how to do it. Okay.
2: I feel like we're the opposite. I have no idea how to write fiction in first person. I'm like, hmm, okay. who is this? I, I don't know what's going on. Um, but the first person in in your hands, especially in this book, it's it does seem to operate sometimes like a third person narrator because we get... The characters, and the characters are often telling themselves a story about themselves, yeah know some sense, or, or they're sort yeah. of thinking very deeply about someone they're looking at, and so there is this incredible dynamic range in your in your your narrators that I found endlessly fascinating um and and also it seemed to me like there would be these great tension points in the novel where a character would have like one active illusion about who they are and what they're doing. I'm thinking of Arna, the first one. we meet, And he's got these ideas about who he is as a person and all this other stuff. And then the reader is watching him do all these horrible things, like erupt yeah. at his family and be a very cranky member of his family and all this other stuff. And so yeah. there's like this level of irony that yeah. functioning at all times with, within the first person narrative.
3: Yeah, that's true. Irony is to, is to write well, not irony in in, in the opposite, but irony in, in distance. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, even when I'm writing about myself, of course, it is that kind of has to be that kind of distance. So you are seeing the character from outside and from inside, yeah. more or less at the same time. I think.
2: Yeah, and and I think that it works. I mean, I think it works especially well in a novel like this, which is so much about. The contemporary condition, because I feel like in the con- in this sort of contemporary moment, where we're all so well referenced now that we're we always have these sort of functioning illusions and and fake ideas about who we are and like how we're appearing to others, and with like social media, it's like even with Zoom, you're sort of watching a person, but like you're really watching yourself at the same time. <laughs>
0: mm, yeah,
2: um, it is a terrifying, ironic age we live in. And I want to ask you about the this I guess the second main thing that you had in mind when you set up your book, and that is the star itself, which um which functions as a kind of unifying principle. All the sort of characters are are witnessing it come into being, and it's sort of the thing that we track um across the book. Um and the star also seems to unleash some kind of uncanny force in the world of the novel. Yeah. Um and and I will say though that, like even before the star is like fully present in the um, even before the star is observed, I'll say there is something quite uncanny happening in the novel, like you could feel something was coming even before the star begins to pulsate in the night sky, and I wonder, like what is it about the uncanny that that made you think that that is the thing that I want to sort of suffuse the book, this feeling of something dangerous, or something hiding just beneath the surface of ordinary life.
3: Yeah, that's that's, that's kind of many things, I think. Uh, One thing is to see something that you simply don't understand. Mm. That is very threatening, because we do understand everything, and we know about everything, and we have systems Mm. for everything, but if you know, if if you see something you don't understand, or some, some creature that's not human and not animal or something, That is incredibly uncanny.
0: Um, Yeah.
2: Yeah, and it seems, I think things feel more uncanny the closer they are to something we do understand in some sense, and so like a star, it's like, oh yes, a star, we all understand stars. Even from a young age, we understand stars. Our ancestors have been looking at the stars for millennia. But then there's something about the idea of like a new star, like something that appears in a very familiar sort of landscape that seems to denature <laughs> everything about yeah. life and the characters seem to behave in ways that are so strange. And I think about, um I think it begins with animals in the book. Like first they notice that the animals are behaving in ways that are quite unusual and then they start to, they start to see things like the very strange bird-like creatures that seem to be flying through the sky. And then, and then it's, you know, things that are very commonplace. I think about the crow who first appears as a sign to a character who's seeking a religious sign. And then he starts to hear the very strange bird calls from the woods and he doesn't know if it's real or if it's imagined. And I think a few characters in the book struggle to differentiate between what is real and what is imagined and that to me also feels like a deeply uncanny space.
3: Yeah. Yeah, no,
0: that's right. Um it's
3: you know, it's it's a thing that's out there and that's in the book and it and it can be or represents all kind of things, you know, it's it's uh, something new or something mm-hmm. is changing, you know? And the thing was that when I when I wrote I um, wrote two thirds of this book in in lockdown in London, and after written, writing the book, I realized you know it's 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 kind of the same structure. We were in the house, could go out, uh, very the family life, and then you have the threat outside that was new and that we didn't know how to handle, didn't know what really was going on, and it's kind of the same structure there, in a way. And you have also in the morning star. That's Lucifer. That's the devil. That's the fallen angel. But you have also Lucifer as the name of Jesus, which is the opposite. And the thing that I, I realized when I wrote the book was that in the Bible, both the fallen angel and Jesus is sons of God. Mm. So there is a very kind of ambivalence to it. But the thing is, it's 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 a lot of things are kind of gathered there, but it also is something is starting to happening. So it's kind of indicates that this is a, this is a kind of a change. Uh, um, but it's, you know, I didn't think much of that when I wrote it. I, I just like the idea of something unheard of because I've never really seen anything new that hasn't been there before. And in science, it is things has to be repeated to be, to have a value or to, to, to exist, you know. And then, uh, if something just happened once, it's like it doesn't happen. So yeah, that's the things that's going on in the novel. But kind of the whole novel takes place on the ground. This is kind of bits and pieces up there sometimes. And and I, I meant really to open a room somehow, you know, mm. and to see what happens there.
2: Yeah, I mean it's it's incredible i mean i i really i think one of the characters in the book when when they're asked about the new star i love the sort of casual nonchalance one of the characters has where they're like well it's a new star certainly there are always new stars like like where else would they come from? <laughs> yeah exactly yeah I like, yeah that's kind of true i guess i guess i never thought of it <laughs> 'Cause we imagine yeah. like eternal things that, you know, never ever fade and, and we imagine the span of a human life to be so insignificant when compared to the you know, the life spans of the mountains or the oceans or the stars or the, the sky. And yeah. and one of the characters is like very blithely like, Yeah, I mean stars have to happen sometime, like why not now?
0: Why not? <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's just so delightful. Um I wanna ask next about um I guess about research, because the book, this book and many of your other books are, sometimes you turn the page and you just sort of drop down into like a 10-page essay on some very esoteric fragment from, <laughs> from a text or a novel or or the Bible that I've never even considered. And this book is so with um, with references and allusions to literature and philosophy and science and art. And and I wonder about the role of research when you're, when you're writing a novel like this. Is it, you know, you're finding things as you move through the world and they sort of are compiled by your mind and then you you find the right thing for a character to say or do or is it a case of like things inspire you to sort of write about them?
3: Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's two different ways of, <laughs> of working. One is that I read a lot uh, and I do forgets everything I read. So I you know, And then it kind of pops up when I'm writing about someone. Uh, and sometimes it's hard for me even to trace where it comes from. And the other thing is that I, through this book, I read constantly, uh, when the day was over, I was reading things that was relevant to this project. Kind of piled up a lot of, lot of uh, direction and information. And there is a long essay in there about death, which is kind of I read incredibly much about. Uh, what do you call it in English? The, the afterlife, the death realm, the, um, you know, yeah, yeah. uh, yeah. So, yeah. And then, uh, I know I've never done research in my life, but then never had a, there is a, a scene from, um, was uh, an operation in the hospital where I really was, I had no idea. Uh, so then I contacted, uh, and he talked me through, you know, what would happen and um and, and it has to be had to be kind of precise. She's a operation nurse, uh and this patient has uh organ transplantation, so he's clinically dead and everything is fine and, and then he wakes up um during the operation. Which is uncanny. And it is also related to the morning stars and all. Uh but that was great and really fun to do. Uh, and I realized, yeah, I'm right. I can actually do that. And then there was a priest too, and I talked with the priest. Uh, and then I just wrote how I thought it would be, and then I sent it to her, and she she kind of went through it and said, yeah, kind of, this is this is more or less the way. But you know, they would have done this and that. I know that's very common for, for writers, but I've never done research that way before. And it's, it is very interesting. I mean, to know details about things that you never have dealt with in your life, you know.
2: Yeah, I mean, in some sense, like the, the, the cast of characters with this novel is like one of those really, one of those like bad jokes where it's like a priest and a doctor and a writer and a <laughs> shipping heir all walk into a bar and there's a terrifying, like, uncanny star in the sky, you know? It, it, yeah. It, you really do have this sort of interesting hodgepodge of characters. And I guess I wondered, did you know how they would all intersect at the start of the book, or did you just sort of... No, no, I didn't them? know anything.
3: No, no. I started with uh, just one of the characters, uh, which is called Solve, and she's... Um, yeah, she's the nurse and she started to I didn't know anything about her. Uh, other than she was at the hospital. And then she's uh, looking after her old mother, at her house and then her daughter which is like 22, is coming home so three women in the house and and that was that character and then next I just started you know, man sitting in the garden drinking red wine kind of Uh, drunk-ish he has two children two twins and so on and then this friend's coming his name is Egil and I thought maybe yeah, he can maybe use as a character and then I write him and then it's just have yeah it's whatever it's, it comes into my mind really uh, and then when you have done that uh, it's like the, um, uh, the page is you can't you have to follow the logic in the text and then you have to try to make combinations and, and make them you know and then things happens and then that's how the novel is written kind of accidentally and just starting somewhere and then and then you know, pouring in my own experiences, the things I've heard, and, and stuff, and then, then comes something, and, and then, to me, it's for it's real, most people are for real, and that's uh, it's a weird feeling, but, but but fun. It's been the most fun book to write for me, maybe just because of that. There's so many characters, they're not me, uh, and I have to find out, you know, where they're going, what they're thinking. There's a priest, she, she have just been to a seminar about translating the Bible, which I picked because I've been on a seminar about translating the Bible. She's on the plane and then she realized she don't want to go home. She she doesn't want to go home. Uh, and that's the, you know, that's the story. And that's the, okay, then I'm writing about her. And it's the same way with all of them. So I
2: you know, if you had asked me which of these sections came first, I would not have guessed that one. <laughs> I would not have guessed no. that was where the novel began. Wow, that's so, that is blowing my mind. Um Wow, that's incredible. I mean, again, like that just seems as a writer setting yourself like a next to impossible task. <laughs> all of these first person yeah, narrators and oh, how it all fits together.
3: Yeah, but the first person was, was so hard for me because she's a woman. i have never written about women before. Uh, and I, I spent months and months on trying to find, uh, on this, on, on her to find a voice. So, and I restricted myself so much because I thought I can only write what I know a woman would think, which is a stupid, stupid place to start for a writer. But, but, but I was very restricted. It was like my hands was tight and, and, and then I just had to say, let everything go, just write it and, and go for it. And then the novel started. And then I, yeah, says, if you're careful and if you think too much, then then there's no flow. I need to flow. Yeah. Characters.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I do feel like you're one of the great writers of flow. Like, it's, <laughs> your books it's, feel very sort of natural why are our motorcycles in York City? But yes, your 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 novels feel very in the flow, very natural, very fluid. And, you know, there is something kind of of course the book is like very like tightly structured and tightly connected, but part of what felt so compulsively readable to me was like I didn't know what was gonna happen next. I didn't know who was going to come next. And and yeah. as the connections start to click into place, then it's there's another level of pleasure in the reading.
3: I think uh, I think the reason, I'm, I'm very happy that you're saying this, but I think the reason is that I didn't know, so, <laughs> so when I write, I'm always at the same point as the reader in the text, you know, what's going to happen now, I have no idea. Um, so th- I think that curiosity kind of is, it must be in the text somewhere, because I'm, I'm very curious what, what will happen, or whether we go with this
2: book, you know. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, you go to some truly startling places, you know, and like people die in the book, like things are brutal and strange and they get darker as the book goes on. And and you're totally right in that the book is full of surprise. And as a reader, nothing ever feels like foreordained in a sort of heavy handed way. Like when you find a terrifying thing on page whatever, it's like, oh, my God, like I did not see it coming. And yet, of course, it was always there. <laughs> you know, like it, it there's something so natural about it all. Um, I guess my next question is about um, meaning, which seems like a very sort of huge, terrifying thing. But you know, like reading this book, it, it it occurred to me that this book feels very kind of old school in a kind of Stendhal or Tolstoy way. And it seems to me that in in times that follow periods of great like upheaval, the first thing that we seem to do is is to try to reinvent or rediscover like, roots or pathways into meaning, like, and it got me thinking about the, the modernists and the postmodernists, and it got me thinking about Sartre and Camus and and all these writers who were writing in the aftermath of periods of a lot of Pomo and people, and they were trying to rediscover, like, what it means to have faith or meaning in the world, and and this novel is also deeply preoccupied with faith and meaning in a way that many of your books seem to be. I feel like your your books seem to consider faith a kind of devious yet desired form of idealism
0: <laughs> and your characters
2: are never quite sure what to make of it. And so I guess I wonder, like, how do you approach the idea of faith and meaning in a sort of contemporary world? And and was that something that you wanted to face head on in this book, or was it just something that seeped in like a sort of ambient anxiety?
3: <laughs> oh, it's it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a subject in the book. Yeah, it is. Uh, but it's not like I'm in my in my life. I don't think mm-hmm. about these things much, or 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 I'm not considering myself as a as a believer in any way. Yes. But I'm always drawn to to those areas of life which is kind of the most banal and most basic
0: questions of all you know Um,
3: and i have no context for it i don't know i don't but i I know only that i'm drawn towards it there is this uh there are really two texts in the book that are very important for me um Personally, and the one, both are by the Danish philosopher Søren Kierkegaard, which, by the way, is a fantastic character in himself. I just read a biography about him, and it was, it, was, it was incredibly fascinating. And the thing with him, he writes so well. I mean, I can since I'm Norwegian, I can read him in, in his original language, and he's, he's surely the best writer for Scandinavia ever. That's one thing. But he wrote um, Fair and Trembling, maybe his most famous text, which is about faith. Uh, uh, and he also wrote a text uh, that's called uh, Lily on the Field, Bird in the Sky or something, which is a sermon. And uh, they're very different. Uh, and they, they have a, a view of faith very differently. But in this novel, I kind of, one of the characters is called Egil. He um, yes. has a kind of experience of the divine in Norway in present time as something otherworldly, as something, you know, he turns his back to society, turns his back to his children, turns his back to everything. And God is something out there, something, you know, cosmic or or something uh, you can't understand, but it's very powerful to him. Uh, and then you have another Christian character, which is, which is the priest, but her Christianity is almost the opposite. It's in between people. It's about mercy. It's about... Togetherness, it's about um she thinks God is you know a jesus i mean is a radical a radical figure if you if you really think what was going on and so on so so you have one inside the social sphere and one outside of it and that's something I, I realized is, is fair and trembling, one of the basic story the basic story to try to understand is is Abraham wanting to do or Commanded to sacrifice his son Isaac. Uh, And that is, you know, how is that possible? And so, what what does that take? And and in the end, he he doesn't sacrifice it. Then I read a a lot of of feminist theology when I would do this, when I was working with this priest. And there is another story in the Bible, never heard of, even, where there is a man who, who, who. Promise God if this happens, he would sacrifice his oldest child, and um, that's a girl, and and he he has to do it, and and she is sacrificed. So you have you have one story that's kind of very important, and everybody knows it, and then you have another one which is basically the same, but no one has heard about. So that polarity is 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 in the novel, and there's a lot of things like that that the novel discovers because I didn't know it before, and it's just. I don't know the relevance. I don't know relevance to our time. I don't know relevance to me. I don't know relevance. But it's it's like it's the book that's thinking, so so I just go with it and and see see what happens, see what it is.
2: Yeah, I mean it's I mean, but that's one of the great pleasures of the book is its ability to sort of go seemingly far afield of of what what would be the sort of ostensible focus which should be And every other novel would be the sort of morning star in the sky, like that would be the thing that governed any other book. But this book sort of roams far afield and and it follows the characters into these incredibly moving crises of, of faith and not just in a religious sense, but like their faith in God or like their faith in the idea of family or their faith in their creative work or their faith in their scholarship or... Like their their faith in themselves and all this other stuff. Like all of these characters are in these different crises of what it means to be alive and for our life to have meaning. And yeah, the, the book doesn't elevate any crisis over another, but it's saying like these people are all lost. You know, these people are all lost in in some way. And 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 what's so moving about the book is that we we find them all. We sort of sit with them and they're they're sort of lost in the woods and we move on to the next one and the next and the next. And the cumulative effect is that it is this incredible panoramic of a contemporary moment without anything feeling too forced or sort of imposed upon them. We're just watching people grapple with, in some ways, like the eternal question (laughs) Yeah, the the sort of eternal question, which is like, what is it to be alive? And that mm-hmm. to me seems like a terrifying question <laughs> to take on yeah. in a in a novel. Yeah. So how and why? Why are you so compelled by this question of what does it mean
0: to be alive?
3: <laughs> yeah. Well, wow. I can't fully really answer that. I don't know, but I'm. I'm it's a that is, you know, I never think I read in everything I, I'm looking for in every, everything, that's that's what it is about for me, that's what I'm, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It's the, I can't really explain why. I mean, I, I think, you know, doesn't everyone, yeah, I think so. But maybe, yeah.
0: I, think. I don't know. I,
3: sorry.
2: <laughs> no, I mean, I think the answer probably, but there is no answer, you know, the sort of, yeah, yeah. The, the answer is in the asking, probably, right? I mean, I think yeah. about that, that moment where the priest is, you know, she's just, she's gotten home and she's wandering with and she's so overwhelmed, and she she drops to her knees and she's like, God, I'm in crisis, you know, that, that yeah. moment of, and, and I do think that there are all these moments in the Bible where a character like a person in the Bible just will sort of say, I am in crisis, (laughs) you know? There are all these moments in the Bible where a person is saying, is asking, you know, for anything, and they don't even know what they're asking for. They just need a sign. Um, And I feel somehow that that is what, I mean, like, that's what great art does is it sort of recreates that feeling of asking the the sort of great, wide cosmos (laughs) and not knowing what you're going to get in return. No, exactly. <laughs> um, I guess my final question is, I guess my final question is, it has to do with, um, we've maybe answered this obliquely, but it has to do with genre and and form. So the book is full of, the book is full of homages and references to different genres. So there's. Of course, suspense. There's a there's some moments where like I was watching a really great like Scandinavian noir um, TV show. In some parts, you know, it's got detective, it's got hard boiled mystery, it's got horror, it's got suspense and supernatural. Um, and I just I wonder about the role of genre in the work and what was it about bringing those elements into the into the story that. Appeal to you, or was it just I wanted to put a weird thing in the book and see how it destabilized <laughs> orderly life?
3: Mm. So there is a kind of a, a center in the book that I that I knew of from the very beginning, and that's there is a killing in the forest outside of the city, where three young members of a death metal band are kind of mutilated and, and killed in a spooky way, like a slaughter, and there is one of them that is on the loose he just has Jennifer run away and he's kind of running through the book to almost all of the chapter he's somehow running and i and i knew about that and, and and i didn't know how to deal with it because i never written anything like that at all so i just took what was available that was a police scene that was a journalist just trying to to get there and and and, and that journalist in, in himself is was was a very fun character for me. It's, it's a cultural journalist who really hates culture. He wants to be a crime writer, and he gets this case. You know, So there's a bit of comedy in there. But then why I did it, I, I've, when I grew up, I read so many you know, crime novels, bi-novels, I read everything, and I think it's in me. So uh, when, I, when I came there, it was, it was just, I thought it was, can I do this? Yeah, i am allowed to do this? Yeah, I can do it. And it was just fun. You know, and um the other things, the horror things, and that was much more the book I had in the back of my mind when I started to write this was one of my all time favourite books with it, which is Dracula, which I read when I was like fourteen and sixteen and eighteen and twenty. I really love that book and, and yeah, something of that is, is kind of is in there. But I, I do I think my strategy of writing is to read a lot and to forget everything, and then just write, and it comes out kind of misshaped or or in different forms. But especially a thing like you know pace or or suspense, or I think that's what if it's there, it's because of all the books I read when I was when I was younger. You know, it's it's just like an rhythmic rhythmic thing, instinctive thing. It's like playing, you know. So just, so there's no plan. I didn't want to write a, a genre book, or, but it's, uh, I did.
2: Yeah, it's it's inflected. It's like an admixture, right? Like it just sort of comes out as this alloy of all the different influences you, you've sucked up. And, and, and it does feel like a deeply ruminative literary book, but it is suffused with all of these really great, All these really great things that make genre so interesting. It feels like a deeply genre-inflected, very ruminative book, and it made me think like, oh, I would love to read more of these kinds of books. These books that are that are so deeply influenced by by what we consider genre elements, and yet they are the sort of quiet, deeply interior novels of of ordinary life. And I was like, wow, this is such a Perfect melding of the two things I love most in the world. Um you yeah,
3: no, have to
2: oh, say. Well I loved it, but um I guess you no, know, I have one more question for you, and it is a question that has haunted me ever since I read uh this part of the book. But there's a there's a young character in the book which is not a thing I typically associate with you except for in certain books <laughs> in certain books of the My Struggle series when you are quite young. Um and I guess Music is such an important part of your your work, and and all, this book is no different. Music is almost a character. It tells us so much about the characters who are in the book, and I was astonished to find mention of Ariana Grande and Billie Eilish in yeah. your book. Yeah. Was that a part of your research? And it so what was your favorite Ariana Grande song? I could not I could not stop thinking about it. I was a car but listen listen to Ariana Grande. <laughs> what in the world? What tell me all about it. Please tell me tell me about it.
3: Yeah, no, that's, about very, that's very that's <laughs> very <laughs> you know, I got daughters. Mm. And we drive car and and I play the songs in the car. So I kind of it's almost like I grew up with Ariana Grande and and uh, Mariana and, and all the things they listen to. And when I wrote this song, I asked them, you know, what are you listening to? Uh, Billie Eilish, uh, for instance, came up. Uh, and then I watched actually that this is a description of Ariana Grande uh, video that she's making herself. She's like singing layer by layer by layer, layer with with it's great. Then I thought just I wanted to pour that enthusiasm into this girl who is, who is the narrator and they also started to listen to queen which is an odd thing because i listened to queen when i was when i was their age but this is of course the film so everybody in their age listens to queen and that was spread fun and actually made a playlist for every character it is online uh, and they have growing so it's like 40 songs for each now that is so fun, and it's uh, you know you could, you could take all the things that you kind of do like, but you don't go public with it, and just put it out there with yeah. it in a character. So that is, I love that, and I always play music when I'm writing, and, and yeah, and, and and it it gives so much more. I mean, she's um, she's a, the thing with her is that uh, she has such a great voice, but she is also very ashamed of herself and hiding away and. And then there is a scene where she's singing Coldplay, you know, and, and mm-hmm. it's like, it's, it's just fun.
2: Oh, I, I love that so much. I've also seen that video of Ariana Grande singing all those, those songs, and the idea that you were also amazed by it. In- <laughs> incredible. Yeah no, <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, she's she's... generational talent but I mean it was it really I mean the way that you use music I mean it's not I mean sometimes you read a novel with music in it and it's like oh these like soaring lyrical descriptions and yada 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 but the way that you your characters have thoughts and opinions about music and music is a part of their intellectual life it's a part of their creative life their spiritual life and it feels like a way of getting to know them and getting close to them by understanding their thoughts about music and I always I always am looking for what your characters are talking about the music they love the books they love and and it's like a deeply I don't know like a deeply felt way of characterizing people in a in a book and maybe that's a little old fashioned but I I really loved it and so when I saw Billy Eilish and, and Ariana Grande I was like I knew exactly who this character is.
3: <laughs> Yeah no it's uh, yeah no, I, one of the characters is, is in a band, uh, and then I have to make a song that he's making, you know, soft text, which is, which is fun, but it has to be bad in a way, too.
0: Mm.
3: And he's uh, working uh, with children in a nursery, and he's playing them great music, you know, they're like two and three years old, and he plays this place uh, in that scene, he's playing Father on Misty, and he's playing Kraftwerk, and he's playing, you know, and they love it, and it's true, children do like, can relate to complicated music, but not to complicated literature, but they're kind of just loving it, so,
0: um,
3: yeah, I remember my kids' of like, two, three, really liked Kraftwerk, work, John, yes. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, so that's, that's yeah, that
0: was just fun,
3: and it's... It really makes it more real, I think, to have music brought in because you've done that.
2: Yeah, it's a point of reference. I mean, I think in a yeah, world exactly. where where the sort of the idea of like a common culture has like, you know, gone away, I feel that music has continued to be one of those common touch points. And, and it's a yeah. point of reference. And you can go all over the world and mention you know, Michael Jackson or Kraftwerk or, or Queen, and people know. Oh, yes, I love cleaning. You have nothing else in common yeah, but, exactly. but the music. No.
3: Yeah, no, that's great. That's true. <laughs> yeah. I
2: think now is audience questions. Is that right, Maddie?
1: Yes. Um, Brandon, thank you so much for your wonderful questions. You're my favorite question asker. Um, thank you very much.
2: It <laughs> was very generous, I have to say. Oh, it was. A, I love the book. I love all your books, but this book especially, I was like, wow, I, I, I love this so deeply.
1: <laughs> all right, so um, let's take some audience questions. So these were sent to us in advance. Uh, thank you so much to our audience members who sent these in. Um, so we just have a couple, and then before we all go, I want to just see, Brandon, if you have any last questions, and maybe we'll do, like, a, a short little reading, perhaps. Um. All right, so first question. I'm curious about your audacity to write and your unwavering effort to write when it seems there were many years when it didn't flow or you felt that you weren't competent enough. What has motivated you or gotten you through obstacles to completing each work?
0: That's a good question. Um,
3: Oh, it's such a long story and it's the kind of different you know, for each, each book.
0: Um, it was so long that I just couldn't
3: write uh, so many years, and I really, really wanted to write, and I, and I read a lot, and I really wanted to kind of to go in there and to, to just be free in there. and I couldn't. Then I met a, an editor who
0: somehow blew me. He just saw some, like, 10
3: pages and that trust was then I could write for some reason. And I wrote my first novel. And then I couldn't write. And then it took me five years to finish the next novel. And what I did then, so then I had one book out. I knew, you know, I have, I, have, I, have, I have one book published. I can call myself a writer. I knew, and I wanted, I wanted to find that place again. And then I just sat and, and wrote every day. Uh, no matter how bad it was, uh, and so the the thing was to to tolerate my own uh, bad writing, to tolerate everything that was bad, and just to be there. And then after five years, there was another novel, and then it was five more years with the same process, just sitting there doing it every day. And the thing I learned about last about my struggle was, if you lower your the threshold, then it's easy to write. That's what I'm doing all the time. I'm lowering the threshold. I'm saying, no matter how bad this is, it's a novel, and I'm writing it. Then, if you you go become free, and then then things happen, and then it's it's not bad, but it doesn't have to be really good. But it's it's just kind of just sit down and write. That's that's what I do, and with no
0: no try to have no pressure.
1: Thank you. Hallie, I think you have a question. Take it away. Yes. Um,
0: I just want to first thank you both for being here. Um, This was
1: such a wonderful conversation. Um, Our second audience question is How has your study of art impacted your writing? Is there an artwork or body of
0: work that has served as a touchstone for this book? Oh, that's a good question.
3: Uh, art means a lot to me. I, I'm 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 looking at art almost all the time. Uh, mostly art books because there have been a lockdown and I haven't got to museums last one and a half years. But I do look at it, and and I am I do it for a kind of weird form of inspiration. Just just to come something from it, and I think I you know, how can I get there, how can I get into there, what is going on there, Um and it's a lot about,
0: I do what it is really, but, but there is,
3: this book, I haven't, there's no specific work of art, but there is an artist that she made a Norwegian cover, uh, which is a painting by her, she's called uh, Mamma Andersson, and... Um, these books. There are going to be more books. This is this is going to be a, a sequel to this book. And then she would be um, have the cover already made. And um when um, uh, I went to saw her work, and it's really amazing. Really, really great. And there is something there I I do kind reach for. But it's it's impossible to explain what it is. No, it's just something.
0: It's, is truly great. Thank you.
1: Okay, so this is a, a writing advice question. How do you encourage writing forward and writing extensively? Is it about having a plan, stamina, or what?
0: Uh, I know many writers,
3: and I know every writer has, has their own things, you know and have have the learn their own lessons, have their own experiences, and have not found their own way. And I think that's kind of a key. You just have to find your way your own way. For me it has been stamina. That's the only it's not talent, it's stamina. It's just sitting there doing it, sitting there doing it, you know, and and waiting for a flow. That maybe not never happens, but but, but that's what I but I did get a great advice from a writer from once interviewed. He's uh, one of my favorite writers. His name is Kurt Vonnegut, and he what he said basically is just accept everything, accept everything of what you're doing, you know, because it will become something, and it is something. Just there is something, you know. If you have problems with writing, well, sit down, write about having problems with writing, and something will come out of it, you know. And it's yeah, it's but it's incredibly individual. So what what helps me won't help you i mean it's it's
0: yeah.
1: Thank you, all right, Brandon. Do you have any last questions or last thoughts you want to share before we say our- goodbyes
2: Well, I mean not, I have a million more please I have a million more questions um. Um, but I, I first just want to echo what you just said. Yeah, I mean, the thing about writing is that sadly, there's no secret. <laughs> there's just, no. You've got to just like find your own way, and you're never going to be able to be anyone else. And it's no. It's like really freeing, but also very depressing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, he, yeah. So, so true. Um. I guess my question. I guess the immediate question I have is like a sequel. There's a sequel. to Yeah. <laughs> When have you already started? Have you what? Yeah, already?
3: well, uh, I actually I finished it on Thursday, so
2: uh, congratulations!
3: It's, uh, yeah, thank <laughs> you. <laughs> so it will be published in Norway actually this fall, the end of the fall. Uh, it's very different, but it's, it's it's more or less a prequel, and and then the the real sequel will come. So there's more more coming
2: two more of these. I feel that you are maybe a great contemporary writer of sagas. I feel that you... (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
3: But it's, uh, you know, I I can't finish a story. It takes so long for me to finish a story. So this story just started you know, and then
2: Mm -hmm. well can't wait. I may have to learn Norwegian so I I won't have to wait quite so long. Um, I will say that when I, I found out that this book was was happening by Googling you as I sometimes do, and I saw that it had been published in Norway previously, so I asked my ex-boyfriend who is Swedish to translate <laughs> the um, the the title of the book and its sort of back matter and the review of it. And so yes, he was very kind enough to keep me abreast of all hmm. Canalsword happenings in Scandinavia. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh.
1: All right. Well, this has been a, just wonderful, a blast, a joy. Carl um, Ova, would you like to close us out with a short reading?
3: Yeah, I can do that. Um, any suggestions? Yeah, just read the opening, maybe. Or
0: yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. So this is the opening, it's very slow and simple.
3: The sudden thought that the boys were asleep in the beds inside a house behind me while the darkness descended on the sea was so pleasant and peaceful that I wouldn't let go of it at first. I tried instead to sustain it and pin down what was good about it. We'd put the nets out a few hours earlier so I imagined their hands still smelling of salt. There was no way they would have washed them without me telling them to. They liked to make the transition between being awake and asleep as brief as possible. At any rate, they would pull off their clothes, get under the covers, and close their eyes without so much to switch in light up. as long as I didn't intervene with my calls for them to brush their teeth, wash their faces, fold their clothes up neatly on a chair. Tonight, had said nothing, or they had simply slipped into their beds like some long-limbed, smooth-skinned species of animal. But that wasn't what i felt so good about the thought. It had been the idea of the darkness falling independently of them, that they were sleeping as the light outside their rooms retreated from the trees on the forest floor to shimmer faintly for a short while in the sky, before it too darkened. And the only light left in the landscape came from the shining moon, spectral in its reflection on the surface of the bay. Yes, that was it. That nothing ever stopped, that everything only went on and on. Day became night, night became day, summer became autumn, autumn became winter. Year followed year, and they were a part of it. At that very moment, as they lay sound asleep in their beds, as if the world were
0: a room they visited. Sorry about the silly glasses. That was amazing. <laughs> that was so, oh. Thank you so much.
1: And, and know that our audience in the future is already clapping for you. Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> Thank you very much. Well, thank you for generosity and enthusiasm. It's really wonderful.
1: All right. Well, okay. I think we're all set. Carlova, yeah. thank you so much for your time. Brandon, thank you very much for questions. having me. It's been a pleasure. Okay. Yeah, Allie, thanks for being here in the background. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you so much to our audience. We appreciate you all. And uh, get your copy of The Morning Star now.